I almost killed myself and my dog oh, nee. while on a walk uh, listening to Dolby Atmos mixes <laughs> because I was leaning to the left and then I started walking to the left <laughs> and me and my dog walked out in the road and there were like a bus coming but I, I couldn't I couldn't go to the right again because the the mix was going to the left I just followed it <laughs> follow the mix young Padawan <laughs> This is it. This is the podcast. Oral Adventures. Okay, okay. Mikael and Bauke. Oh, yes. In yes. the house. We finally have a name. Oral Adventures. Here we go. Can I start with one uh, quick thing? I just want to. Uh, I, I just want you to hear one thing. Let's go. This is how I sound when I'm extremely fascinated about something you say. Very fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Very fascinating. <laughs> it's it sounds it, like it sounds like you're really fascinated. Actually, you're going to hear it again. Very fascinating. <laughs> we need to add some effects to that so you can really make that a good sound effect. I, okay, so we're now starting because we we've been chatting a bit. Hello, welcome, Mikael. Good to see you. Uh, good to hear you. Hello, listener. Uh, some of our family members and friends, maybe. Maybe if you are not a family member or friend, but now you are. If you listen to this, you are a family member and a friend of ours. We're now in episode two, and we're. I have ideas for new, for more structure. Yeah, I will try to break it. Okay, great. This is good. I will bring the structure. You break <laughs> it. Uh, we need a new part where we have the section of reflection. Please, we we need sound effects for that as well. Section of reflection where we talk about last week's episode and our findings and then we move on to the subject of the week something like that okay who starts with the reflection part okay first uh we try to do this in tandem so i count down from three and then we both do a sick sound of section of reflection okay yeah okay three two one section of reflection <laughs> There we have it. All right, cool. Uh, you start. Go ahead. Well, seriously, I will play this sound for you again because I actually have a point about this. Listen to how I sound when I'm extremely fascinated about something you say. Very fascinating. <laughs> I love it. What did we talk about last week? Last week we talked about... Uh, I'm actually saying very fascinating to the video you tipped on uh, that was called the the psychology of analog yeah and i watched it mm -hmm. and um it was uh, very fascinating <laughs> <laughs> that one blended in so smooth that i didn't realize until halfway through that you <laughs> played that sample <laughs> now when i watched it and my reflection of that is that i um, uh, agree uh, with uh, most uh, things i've heard in that it really shine a light on what's actually important when making music. And it, she even went as far as saying that she thought maybe even modern mixing techniques is dangerous for mental health in yes. youth, which was thought was a bit mind-blowing. <laughs> but uh, maybe she have a point. Mm -hmm. But however, I just want to, again, 
say that uh, this is how very fascinating <laughs> I told you uh, I, I have to just tell you okay now after cutting last week's episode I understood this, the thing about myself so that's another reflection I am 100% unable to have two vibes in my body at the same time and uh, instantly connected to something in music and I want to know if you have this problem very fascinating very fascinating <laughs> right no but the uh, if I play guitar, yeah, I usually play with my fingers, but lately I've been really into playing with pick. <laughs> I was like, where's this going? Are you playing with your feet? <laughs> no, okay. I, yeah. You're talking about the right <laughs> hand. Okay, yeah. I, I promise you will understand exactly why I had this connection. All right. If I'm going to play a super um, like calm part mm -hmm. and I want to play with the pick and I finally feel like i approaching the exact right amount of, you know, the how hard I strum it mm -hmm. with the with the pick but it's a soft song so i need to you know very softly pick mm -hmm. and then exactly when i feel like oh now i have it then i am so relaxed that i drop the pick <laughs> oh, that is... it have happened a million times that is perfect and it's actually a big problem that is beautiful so you find <laughs> i think that is beautiful you find the um... The calm. Yeah, fine. Okay, now I'm in the in the spot, and that's what I mean that I can't separate different energies. If I have an energy, I'm chilled. I can't be excited, or I can't be like like holding a pick very strongly while I'm doing something softly. So I'm doing it so softly that I just like lose the pick, and that was kind of the same vibe as like. Oh, that's very fascinating. Oh, very fascinating. I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. That shows the whole connection that goes on between your mind and body. And it also links in very much with that psychology of analog video where she talks about, yeah, how what you see and hear and do and feel all interlinks in such a strong way in the brain as well and in the spirit. But do you, do you, have you never you never had a problem? I have to say, I don't think I've dropped the pick because I've, I'm so relaxed. No, I don't think that's the case. I can't say that that has happened happened to me i think you're unique in this i'm happy for you <laughs> it's a real problem <laughs> it sounds like a real problem okay but any um <laughs> any takeaways from last week have you changed uh, have you thought differently about things in a workflow have you learned new things about going from uh, about headphones and mixing my screen is about 40 centimeters further away this week is it i moved it yeah i moved it a little bit further away. After seeing the psychology of analog, I was like, okay, they go no screen at all. Okay, yeah. I can at least put it a little bit further away. Mm -hmm. And I still see everything. I don't need like binoculars or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned the 60 meter screen uh, last week. That would be good in uh, outside the window. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in the neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but your um, reflections. My reflection, I've, wow, I've been thrown for a loop since last week. I really, I just wrapped up that Friday, okay, we recorded this on the Wednesday last week, and that Friday I wrapped up a batch of lo-fi songs, um, and I was incredibly proud of how they sounded, and I thought they really had wonderful textures to them, and really nice atmospheres, and my best work yet, I thought. And it got approved and the label agreed. It was really freaking fantastic. Great. All right. All nice and good. Then, I don't know when this change started, but I started thinking about how my speakers sound, how my headphones sound. I have to say, this batch I mastered on headphones, but I mixed it uh, on and made it on the speakers. 
something stupid happened in my brain where I stopped trusting what I was hearing because I all of a sudden opened an analyzer to check how my music was looking. Oh, oh boy. Worst thing I could Did have you done. you see problems? I, I just saw how incredibly dark the music was. And it's not even that it was like, oh, uh, there's a lack of high end or there's a lack of something or there's something is speaking. It's really, if you have a flat frequency response, or at least what we experience as a flat frequency response, it was just as if the whole thing was tilted. To the low end or to the high end? To the, to the low end, to the bass side. So, I bet you're making lo-fi. And that, I, so I stopped trusting my ears. I stopped trusting everything. I was like, ah, what? no, 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 but this is not good. It should all be blah, blah, blah. So I went for such a loop. Like, And that moment when you stop trusting your own instincts and stop trusting your ears, like, no, it should be brighter. It should be more like this. You can still have warmth, but it needs to be flat. For a few days, I just made music that sounded so fucking horrible because I, I, I was like, no, it needs to be brighter. It needs to be this. And then then I don't do my standard instinctive production techniques anymore because then I'm using my brain. I'm like, no, don't do that. Uh, you have this instinct. Oh, I reach for this filter or I reach for the decapitator on everything and I tilt it to the dark side. To the dark side. And... Um, mm. And then I would stop my instincts even uh, because no, no, no. Then I end up in a bad place again. Then it's since yesterday and the day before that I really came back again. I was like, no, wait. No, it does not sound like a top 40 record. It does not, not have the brightness that some pop music has or stuff that I've made in the past. But that's exactly the point, what you said. It is exactly the point that it's nice and that it sits in the background and because really from when you look at the analyzer it just rolls off uh, starting somewhere at like a thousand hertz it just starts going down <laughs> and a massive ear friend ear and then now with like thinking about that video again and then trusting my instincts again i realized i just was making something that i liked and if it sounds good to me then i should trust that so i was really thrown for a loop Extra thing, news update in this section of reflection. I have gone more into my headphones, my Neumann and the H20s, because they are just more truthful than my speakers. Uh, and that has led me to today, and this is a hot topic that I think we should do another podcast about, I made my first two songs in Dolby Atmos. Oh. Ooh. And that goes hand in hand with the headphone stuff, but it was incredibly interesting. But I think we should do uh, that maybe... Uh, well, next week is your turn to come up with an episode uh, subject uh, theme. But the week after that, in two weeks, I vote. Let's talk about Dolby Atmos. I have one more reflection. Oh, yes. Go. A quick one. Podcast is about audio, so I have to paint a better picture. Sweet spot. I need to say this, that when I go around, uh, I don't have a rolling chair because I hate how cables get stuck in them. Yeah. So I need to, my chair gets away. So I, I'm I'm trying to find where the sound is the best. How I do that, you can't be on your knees because then you're too low. You can't sit, like go half sitting. So you'd be, you need to be half squatting. Yeah. <laughs> and then with your neck a bit up and down like this to know exactly this, the, you know, like uh, dial in your, and then I'm going back and forth like this. So that's what I meant. I just want to paint the picture better than I did last week. Even better. So that, there you have it. My dad listened to the podcast and then my girlfriend also commented on it. And they were both like, 
if you take that whole description that we talk about finding the sweet spot out of context, it becomes a very erotic podcast that we're talking about. Anal adventures. Where you listen to <laughs> anal adventures. The new sideshow by Mikael and Bauke. Because we were talking about finding the sweet spot, going back and forth, left and right. Uh, I, asked the, the, I asked the question, yeah, but how do you feel like you know you found the sweet spot? <laughs> I was like, yeah. So... Uh, we have a new podcast coming up. Okay, so that was a section of reflection. I still don't feel... Uh, have we said hello to the listeners? Hello, listeners. Uh, hello, welcome. hello. Welcome to hello. Our Old Adventures with Mika and Bauke, episode two. Yeah. I was responsible today for bringing the subject of the today's episode. Very fascinating. And today's episode is... Okay, I wrote this down nicely, what it was going to be about. Yeah, mixing idols. And I don't mean mixing for the TV show idols. I mean people in audio that you look up to. Very fascinating. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't realize that you were playing that sample. That's funny. No, that's very alarming for me. <laughs> <laughs> it is, actually. Uh, mixing idols, that is... Uh, yeah. What was the first thing? Who's the first person you think about when I say people you look up to in sound? And don't say me now, Mika. Come on. Um, can I say myself? Yes, that's, that you can. People need to do more of that. No, but for real, there's one person that keeps on inspiring me all the time. I listen to him. He always inspires me. And that's Jack Antonoff. Mm, mm, mm. We, we kind of had very similar path just that he's very successful and i'm not <laughs> <laughs> okay for the listeners little background who's jack antonoff well he's um, the lead singer and uh, songwriter of the bleachers mm -hmm. and he has produced uh, lord he has produced uh, taylor swift he has produced like super many yeah a lot of women um yeah a lot of women. lana del rey lana, yeah claro yeah, so many female artists. But when I listen to him, he, he, I always get very inspired because he's 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 the person who really got me into this idea that the classic uh, model of like a huge studio and a desk and a window and a and a vocal booth <laughs> is just so much nonsense. Mm -hmm. He was like every take she, he did with like both Taylor and Lana Del Rey was just like sitting in the same room together one meter from the from the computer and like sitting in the sofa and just like watching each other and, and interacting mm -hmm. and this whole thing about like it doesn't need to be that uh, those classic models he, he was very much into like whatever it feels like he have experimented super much and just like goes with what works for him and what works for him is so often unconventional mm -hmm. and that is inspiring cool he, he, he has a drum booth in his New York apartment. <laughs> I don't I have no idea how that works. Same. But he, he probably paid a lot to get that soundproof, but he just gets stuff, like, he, he makes stuff work that shouldn't be possible, and I like that. Fun side note, I saw an interview with him, and... Uh, he has in that say yeah that New York apartment studio. He's got two microphones hooked up to the ceiling, like left high left and high right. So at any point he can just loop those in and record fully the room. 
and they're always connected. That's nice. I, I, that's a small thing, but that really goes hand in hand in that idea of like this whole room is this creative space and the room itself makes sounds and you, the sounds you make in the room are great. But I thought that was a great little tidbit. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any um, favorite interviews or songs by him that you would like to put in the show notes or that you would like the listeners to hear? This is weird because I have a lot of mix idols mix uh, like people i look up to both producers and but i rarely like listen to a song and like oh that's uh he, he's produced that or like i i actually don't i don't know when i listen to taylor swift's album which he produced it or not i, I guess that the more organic um songs are produced by him mm-hmm. but i sometimes i check on spotify like to really if i'm i'm sure but i, I don't have any favorites like that i'm what i have more is that I tend to um, be a fan of their principles and their uh, way of thinking and their philosophies rather than their work. And then their work, when I listen to it, is always really good. Good point. I'm never coming from, I heard this, I have to see who did that. And then I get to know about the producer. I usually get to know about producers and mixers through shows that are about them Mm -hmm. and then i'm like okay i like your philosophy kind of like pensado's place or all of those uh, mix with the masters and all of those places yeah exactly and then the music is secondary which is strange but that's how it has been for me at least very fascinating. <laughs> Very fascinating. Very fascinating. Seriously, it sounds like I'm falling into pieces when I'm saying that. Very fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can see your face, but I can see your face just being off, like not turned on. Your face is just <laughs> on default mode. There's nothing happening on your face. It's just your brain working, barely having enough to actually go to the mouth and say, very fascinating. <laughs> I love it. It's great. All right, cool. Okay, but uh, yours. Okay, first of all, I came up with this subject because I was cu- I had been listening to the latest Coldplay album. Wonderfully feel good, by the way. It is all very big and strong. Incredibly tight mixes, like incredibly uh, punchy and uh, compressed, and but very expertly so. Uh, interesting sounds, uh, very dense and rich, and I like that. So I looked it up, and a lot of them are mixed by Serban Ganea, like uh, Grammy-winning times a million a dude barely has interviews online because he just doesn't have time to do interviews he's constantly mixing hits left and right then i went uh on to the googles and was like okay uh serving name mixing techniques like just googling like how we usually find some information if we like something uh then i didn't find um an interview with him, but I found a Q&A on the Mighty Gear Space with, mm. uh, I think, yeah, somebody who works with him or, yeah, also Mixer himself, but is also been assisting, I think, for him. And oh, now I need to find the name. Yeah, the name is John Haynes. Mm. And this led me to learning something that I've had before in the past. He was uh, uh, pretty open about most of the things that they use and do. And... What I learned from learning some plugins that they use and some techniques that they have, what I've learned from looking up mixing idols and when I'm like, oh my God, this sounds so great. Who made this sound possible? The answer is never magic. I In my head, I always expect, oh, but they must use this like... Mm 
unobtainable piece of gear or they must use this uh, impossible workflow or there's this hmm. special element or this special routing, whatever. It's not like this uh, in this interview. It turns out that for most of the stuff, it's just a metric halo channel strip, like a good, a good quality, but it's digital channel strip and it's got a compressor and EQ and they don't, yeah, it's, it's just using the plugins in a certain way. And yeah. I've had that so often in the past as well that uh, Mick Gazowski, also somebody who, whose work I really like, he mixed uh, the Daft Punk Random Access Memories and was very involved with that, also the recording of it. And yeah, they recorded, they wanted to do everything analog, so they recorded the tape, also some stuff to Pro Tools, but uh, did. Uh, all with their Neve desk and uh, analog outboard, whatever. So then I started thinking, oh, but, it, but it's because of that that it sounds so good. But then I seen uh, a video online <coughs> of Mick Gazowski on like uh, MixCon or something, with, uh, I think it's called, where he goes over a Jamiro Quiet track he mixed and he just sits there and 80% of the tracks, yeah, they're probably gain staged well but there there's no plugins on them it's just like ah oh, little eq here it's just a fab filter it's just like ah oh, boosting a little bit here boosting cutting a bit there maybe a little compressor here or there and boom the mix comes together like a charm and it sounds warm and round so learning that that the answer is never this unobtainable magic thing piece of gear it's never that that makes these people i look up to in audio it's not that stuff that makes them special. It is in the end, as you will always find out, how they use what they do. And that, I think, is very educative. Yeah, I always also have been many times uh, thinking that there must be something very complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very refreshing to see those things. It is very refreshing. And then the highlight of all of that, and one of my biggest sound idols, as it were, uh, Al Schmidt. Now, this man, he passed away last year and it genuinely made me sad. And I think he became like 90-something, uh, very old, incredibly fresh. According to himself in interviews, he said, it's doing Pilates that keeps you fresh. Well, anyway, uh, legendary mixing engineer. Have you heard of Al Schmidt? A little bit. I think you have sent me some things. I definitely don't know much. I, I'm the biggest fanboy. It is... The cool thing about him is because, yeah, he he started, uh, his uncle was uh, into music in the, in the music business, like in the 50s, I believe, or something. I don't know if my maths are off now. But his uncle was also very good friends with Les Paul. And through that, he got into the music recording business. And he was really passionate about that. And yeah, he started on very limited like four track tape and everything needs to be done in a room with microphones and there is no eq he remembered the first eq he got to use and he was like wow and he tells stories of how <laughs> uh the first time somebody recommended him when they got more channels to put a microphone in front of the kick drum he was like what we why would you put a microphone in front of the kick drum and then wow <laughs> there's a kick now and stuff like that but the cool thing is that the projects he uh, did up to his passing away he did it like if he didn't need to he didn't use eq he didn't use compression 
this is next level. Like Bruce Wadeen, the Michael Jackson engineer, he <laughs> already blew my mind by saying, yeah, compression is for kids. We don't use that. Classic. Compression is for kids. Compression is for kids. But then El Schmidt comes in and one-ups it and says, EQ is for kids. Right. It's not even that. It is next level. No, but he really, um, that amount of just working by what is there and using the room and using just i don't know as also just the whole way he talks about music and the stories he tells about just also being a good human and being nice uh and i don't know the stuff about him that really touched me and uh i read his book can recommend al schmidt the magic behind the music it's just nice hearing an old dude talk about his life in music practically and it basically comes down to advice to young people is make stuff you like and be grateful that you get to make music and be nice just be nice (laughs) don't 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 be an asshole yeah the humble approach i i really love there is a few that really when i think about humble mixers and humble producers which i i think we both like chad blake chad blake (laughs) It feels like when every time I watch him, he is so surprised that he made something. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, but it's such a it's, precious spirit as well. Yeah, that is very inspiring for me. Just like to, a person who have like mixed and maybe produced also some of the you know biggest albums by like Pearl Jam mm-hmm. and many many more. He's just like curious he's it, it feels like he's driven 100 by curiosity yeah and if it doesn't work he's humble enough to say okay my curiosity was not for you yeah you get it? yeah so he, he's never like no i know how to mix he's like he's like mm-hmm. he works with the people who loves his curiosity yeah that is inspiring i think absolutely that leads me to the next point like he works with people that uh uh, appreciate his curiosity this is also such a thing in well in any path of work that you're in but it's this constant balance of doing the work that you need to do and how do you steer towards doing stuff that you think you want to do how do you know what you want to do and how do you reach that level where yeah people hire you because of your quirkiness instead of being rejected for jobs because of your quirkiness i think about that a lot like okay it's the thing i struggled with the most going out of my dj times then being uh sometimes offered jobs into making some dance music for other people and then getting very clear references and i just it took so much energy for for me to make that because it was just not in my this is how i experienced it it was not in me to copy this other track and then yeah just get paid for it it was so hard for me to copy music and so i ended up not pursuing that path but i ended up going in the lo-fi where i could do anything as long as it was calming and chill to listen to and yeah that that well yeah back to what i said no but let's not leave that subject that's interesting i definitely think about that subject a lot too and i think the biggest challenge for me is to know when, um, and tell me if you have experienced this too. But sometimes you go into something and you feel like, okay, this will be just for them, like for the sake of having a project. But I don't really like it. And then mm-hmm. two months later, you realize, Jesus, I learned so much, 
I didn't know I was like mm, so, so that, like that I that I needed to learn this. I didn't know that this was such a like Im- those products are weird because those makes you question: Is there really a sacred path for me? Because mm-hmm. I tend to just take on projects that I feel slightly passionate about, and then I have my always my like super high like passion projects that wouldn't then always stays. But those those that I don't really know sometimes sneak their way into my highest passions and they begin with maybe just you know something that i thought that wouldn't be that interesting yeah exactly have you experienced something similar very fascinating very fascinating (laughs) (laughs) very fascinating i definitely the thing of I think this goes back to what I asked you uh, in the beginning as well. Like, how do you know what your path even is? Because you have these big ideas in your head of, oh, I want to go this direction and I would really like it if this works out like this or if I can do more of this. And first of all, life rarely goes that way in the way you expect it to go. And for me, what I mainly think about... Uh, yeah, there there is a fine line because sometimes there are projects that I'm obviously learning something of, but there are also projects that I have really learned to say no to and to say, like the dance stuff I talked about, I needed to make like proper slap house as they call it. It's like these serum bases that are like, like uh, super compressed, super tight and... Yeah, there's like no uh, no disrespect to that genre. I just don't enjoy it that much myself. Plus two loves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly. Honestly, but that stuff goes through the fucking roof and then they're happy. But so I've really had to learn to say no to that because yeah, there was a lot for me to learn there and there's a lot of I could have picked up, but I wasn't open to it. I, I couldn't because every time I was going through that project, the hard thing that would happen is that because it was not from my own interest, but a paying client, what would happen is that because I didn't uh, feel the music, could wasn't really able to get to the core of it, I needed to... I, I couldn't trust my own judgments, I felt. So I could only go by what the label was saying. And then I was like, okay, is it good now? Change something they said. Is it good now? Because mm. I couldn't go of my own judgment because I didn't like what I was I making. Am. I didn't enjoy it that much. And that was incredibly draining. So there I really learned like, yes, it's incredibly important to be open to new things and to for projects that might sneak in from the side. I'm like, wow, this is now all of a sudden a passion of mine. I have that a bit with ambient music and lo-fi in one way also. But I think it's also not to be forgotten that learning to also close myself off is also incredibly powerful and gives more energy to put time into things I actively enjoy in the moment. Oh, yes, no. Okay, now also what I have to say about mixing idols. On that subject of it is never magic, that it's like always surprising to learn how simple often the productions or, and I say production, but it goes for any creative thing, but like we can be blown away by how simple some experts in their field can work sometimes. And I told you yesterday before the podcast, I was like, 
I just saw a comment on a mix with the masters video. Oh. Uh, and it was a comment on the video of the guy who was mastering Dua, who mastered Dua Lipa's future Nostalgia album. Well, I think we can all say that that album did quite all right. The mastering engineer is called, let me check this. Oh no, Secundo, he's not, he's called Chris Geringer. Geringer. Mm-hmm. Um, he also mixed Machine Gun Kelly, Dua Lipa, like seriously, like the biggest, biggest, biggest stuff. Uh, oh, he mixed the the Jack Antonoff stuff, uh, masters the Jack Antonoff uh-huh. stuff as well. So the Lord Lord album, uh, some of the Taylor Swift stuff, I believe. Not sure about that, but like definitely the latest Lord album he mastered. The the best thing I saw is the 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 image of all his mastering chains are practically an equalizer and a limiter. That's it. Oh my god! Literally it, and then don't don't start now. Dua Lipa's massive hit uh, was literally a Pro Q3, so simple equalizer with um, boost in the low end of half a dB a shelf and a slight little peak at three or four k or something. Also, again a dB or half a dB. Then T Rex Stealth limiter, which limiter he used wasn't the point, but like he swaps them out between songs. But that was it, literally. And it's kind of ballsy to to do so little. Yes, and that is what he uh, mentioned. He said, "Of course, my job gets easier." The, he said he was he was very vocal and he is very good at explaining all of his thought processes. He was like. People ask him, yeah, but with the people who mix the music that they send to him, doesn't his job get way easier because it's already almost as good as it can be? And he's like, yes, uh, of course, it's nicer and easier to work with well-mixed music. But he also said, and this was an important point, that also puts the pressure higher on doing something that still makes it better. Mm. That needs a lot of that requires different kind of quality of being able to also say I don't need to do anything here or I do need to do a little bit of there uh, to improve something that is already so good. Still, by that last five percent, takes a certain kind of quality. And then the comment that I saw. Now, can I read this? It's a bit of a long comment, but I think it's favorite comment of the episode. Favorite comment of the episode. Okay. Oh, favorite comment on YouTube. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> favorite audio rant on the internet that we can yeah. laugh about. Yeah, that, that, that's a good one. Favorite audio rant we can <laughs> laugh about. Oh, that's creepy as shit. <laughs> Do a laugh, Miko. Favorite audio rant. <laughs> this is quality content. This is why people subscribe to us. Of course. Okay. Here he goes. The comment by somebody who's clearly in pain to see how simple this person worked. Here we go. I killed myself. <laughs> I wish it was that simple. Sorry, but this is plainly a joke. I congratulate Geringer to his career and wish him all the best, both professionally and privately. But he's sitting in probably one of the world's best and most expensive rooms, constructed to be acoustically perfectly accurate, hoarding expensive and very rare analog gear, probably wired using the most expensive cables and featuring a power supply that costs as much as a car. 
Then he's raving about how analog gear has a vibe while digital can only do specific things. All his experience and vast knowledge of genres, etc. Ultimately, we get to witness how he throws Pro-Q3, the equalizer, on every song, boosts the bass and the treble frequency very lightly and has slamming varying limiters on. That's it! He could, and should, have just picked a song or a few songs that really need attention, applying both plugins and analog gear and really lifting them to the next level. Honestly, everybody owns these plugins and uses them every day. There's absolutely no need to sit in an environment like this except for impressing clients to boost some bass frequency by 0.44 dB. <laughs> Yes, I know, it's not the gear that makes a hit, it's people. But he could, and should, just admit that the mixes he has been given are close to perfection and doing what he did makes absolutely no difference in delivering a great sounding product. Well, he goes on a bit like this and he rants. It's not ended. And it, oh, it's not ended, but it, it's, it goes on. I do the whole one. Okay, do the whole one, okay. Um... Delivering a great sounding product. He's talking about messy mixes with messed up levels and all sorts of problems. And then he picks these perfectly fine mixes to show us how he uses Pro-Q3 and Ozo Maximizer. Wow, I'm not impressed. What about applying some sort of enhancement? MS processing, dynamic treatment except for limiting, soft or hard clipping and things like that. If there are never mixes that need more attention than these, there's absolutely no need for a video series like that. Sorry, just my opinion with all due respect. Okay, first reflection. If uh, they were to send their uh, mix to this guy, I'm 100% sure the first feedback round would include uh, them saying it sounds too different, you did too much. No, exactly, exactly. And I think it speaks volumes of how I think because I, you know it's funny to read this because you recognize like emotions that might come up in yourself, like yeah. in myself sometimes. Like it's this inner like little <laughs> gremlin that that is just shouting. But I, I love that he says. But he could and he should use the analog gear. He should do this and he should do that. Well, the, the should word is problematic. Yeah, exactly. Because the whole maybe he shouldn't do anything. Maybe he just should send it back, say like it's finished. Yes, exactly. And maybe the pro Q is, is too much. Maybe it is. And maybe it's indeed not necessary with anything. And seeing this person so hurt by that... I think that captures that feeling that we want it to be magic, what some insanely high-level operating professionals do. Yeah, it definitely connects to, to, to what you said in the beginning, the, the why you, you're, you're, you're mixing and, and producer idols. Are, there's never any magic. It's not magic. It's just how they do it. And, and having the confidence, as you also uh, like touched upon, having the confidence to say this is all it needs and it doesn't need more than that. I find that hard because I... Okay, it goes hand in hand. It's not all bad. It's some good, some bad. I have a tendency to touch, to like change sounds and to always wanting to put more stuff on my channels and my master bus is like, <laughs> it's, it's, let's put a bit more saturation of this, let's do a bit, bit more of that. And I have, I love 
warping sound even more. It also sometimes is a bit like, okay, do I really need to touch this more? Or is it fine like this? But it's also creativity. So it's the it's somewhere in the middle there. Just a thought on that. If you do that yourself in your or on, on your own production, what you're doing on your master fader can be considered producing. Yeah, I agree. Do you get what I mean? It, 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 so it, it's never... That shouldn't be compared with getting sent a track for mastering because often that shouldn't have those plugins that you use on your master channel when you are mastering your own things because sometimes you want to put a vibe on the entire package Mm -hmm. as a producer and then probably the producer do that before sending it to mastering Mm -hmm. and you do it on your master chain and it has nothing to do with your master I think Exactly. That's a very, that's a very, very good uh, nugget there. And for me, it goes hand in hand with, uh, well, everything he talked about in that video. He talks so much about his philosophy because clearly there's not much to show to his process. So he just talks about he talks about his process a lot. Where he's like, yeah, peop- the, the the clients have signed off on this mix out of probably very expensive mixing engineer who's gone over it many times, many feedback rounds. They've signed off on this and probably been listening to it for quite a while. And they love this. Otherwise, they wouldn't have signed off on it. So he says, I just want to add goosebumps. I just want to add that it just gives that, it sits right and it just feels right, uh, that final 5% maximum. But other than that, yeah, as you also mentioned, he doesn't want to change the song. He wants to just enhance what is there, and well, mm. I uh, the, this just reading this right before we were doing the podcast, I really got happy by it because I was like, mm. yeah, I recognize it. It really captures that feeling of like we sometimes you want these people that are doing so well, you want it to be because of mystical knowledge that we don't have. So it's it was an unfair fight all along, mm. and they had things we could never have, but turns out the it yeah everybody's path is their own and this uh, this path has led them there and we all have of course not everybody has equal opportunities but it's not in the tools we use definitely not so that was that, that was my uh, yeah but i like conclusion it. it forces you to reflect on your own uh, attitude yes and that's good but like people say sometimes like don't spend time like reading forums, reading YouTube comments or whatever, but sometimes it's good to do that in order to, you know, call out bullshit or like to see that where is this coming from? Is this coming from uh, curiosity or is it coming or is it coming from um, jealousy? Yeah. And I think those are very easily to separate. Yeah. All right. Next subject, forums. I, I agree with everything you said, by the way, because it's there's so much information left and right and there's also so much bullshit and sometimes curious people don't have time on forums on youtube comments i'd like okay to call myself a curious person definitely i never write on forums or i just like reading yeah, it yeah i do I just too like, because I do. because i'm curious yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> we read all the bullshit <laughs> yeah exactly no exactly but uh okay uh, you have a bottleneck are you using this oh no the converters. Everyone talking the about converters. converters. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't. I mean, I don't hear a fucking tiny single difference about converters. Oh, oh, now that's a subject, though. Yeah, it's very, very much a subject on the 
on the Gearspace Elite. I think talking about converters captures the most nerdy and most minuscule segment of yeah going down the rabbit hole within audio and that is that part of like yes it matters but you still are talking about converters <laughs> you're still just talking about something that is so tiny yeah. Uh, and yeah no i really like that now it's a workflow and the convenience is always more interesting for me like if if I see a interface that like see I will work with and it will be intuitive and it will be easy to to have a flow with and if it has bad converters I will use that one anyway because mm-hmm. it will produce better music. Who knows what's right or wrong? If it as long as if it, if it gets you to the right ideas, then that's it. That is it. It's also what the mastering engineer said, by the way. He uh, was like, a hit is always going to be a hit, no matter if it's badly recorded or not. If it's a hit, it's a hit, because it's a good song. And yeah, I th- did we talk? Did I talk about it last week? I still very much believe in it. A hit is a hit, and it's always going to sound good. It's just, you can make it a bit better. But ah. Do you read a lot of forums, or where do you find well, no, let's ask it like this. Where do you usually find inspiration? Where do you consistently find inspiration when it comes to new production techniques? Um, I have a lot of uh, use of Pensado's plays, I have to say. I think uh, I haven't watched it in a very long time. But when I I did for a long, like for, for a good um, uh, period, I was w- watching it constantly almost. Uh, and that gave me a lot of inspiration just to see so many different angles on things mm-hmm. it gave me a lot of inspiration mm-hmm. have uh, we told the listeners that I'm upside down in our recording um, no one sees the video but you are you know how that actually impacts the sound for me in my head your sound is upside down if that even would be a thing yeah. <laughs> but because I see your face upside down I feel like you are upside down and I can hear that <laughs> fuck <laughs> The face is all all over the place. Upside down. <laughs> I I have myself on mute, so I can't hear what I'm doing. I just hear. I just hope. <laughs> you I hear the reaction. I hear the reaction, and I hope that that's good enough. It is. It's plate, right? This is. Let's see. Today on the effects, we have the Lexicon 480L. Auto park preset within halls, and I turned up the reverb time a bit. Oh my god, it's a hall! I have to end my career. I guessed (laughs) wrong. I'm leaving the room. I'm slowly, slowly backing out of the room. We need, we're gonna do the, yes, we're gonna do this next week. I will set this up. We're gonna do the most stupid, obscure quiz at the end of every episode. Yeah. We can, like, have an audio fragment. And put an effect on it, and it can be literally just inserting the pro cue and boosting 100 hertz. I don't care. We can put on a Neve plugin with a very little bit of transformer saturation, and then ask the listeners and each other, "What do you think it is?" So, what's the mastering channel uh, chain on this one? You think? Very fascinating. Y- yes, exactly. <laughs> it's very fascinating. Okay, but next week we're starting the obscurity quiz for real. Like, what has happened yeah. to this audio? Is it 
Is it a 70s bad plate? Is it is it literally just a bit of chorus? And they need to be specific about what it is. Yeah, I'm, uh, I will prepare. The quiz time segment. 100%. All right, cool. Should we decide the next week's theme in the end of this episode, maybe? Yes, that's on you. Honestly, I don't know if we could fill as much time on this subject, but I want to talk about it because it's a dear subject. Stereo widening. Oh, I have massive new insights on that, especially since I made my first songs in Atmos. All right. So we, we can fill an hour or three with that. Have you been out listening to your Dolby Atmos mixes and walking into buses and leaning on different directions? <laughs> I find it raw. Well, the, the Dolby Atmos thing, quick thing about that. I, I haven't been into listening to music of it. I just uh, did a demo of Apple Music because they're so big on their Dolby Atmos thing and the spatial audio with the AirPods. Uh, but I haven't been big on listening to music in it because for me, I always thought, yeah, music sounds better in stereo. I hear more, it's clearer, it's less of this fake reverb thing going on. Mm. And our, our podcast is in stereo, by the way. Oh, our podcast is now in stereo. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Stereo. <laughs> uh, that's our podcast, but... Um, None of, I realized that none of this music that I just quickly checked, so much of that hadn't been made from the ground up with the idea that it was going to be Atmos. People use their normal production techniques and then, as an afterthought maybe, make it into Atmos. That's why my point was, okay, let's try to make something from the ground up. Make something that I would like the sound of in my headphones with Atmos. And... Uh, well, we'll talk more about that next week. Nice to see you. Nice to hear you. Nice to see you. Nice to hear you. Well, well, let's say let's say goodbye to the audience and then let's wrap up wrap up ourselves. I'm impressed you got all the way here. Yes. Hey, audience, we see you. We oh oh we see you, we hear you. <laughs> uh, thank you for existing, whoever you are. Uh, actually, yeah. Hey, Mikael. Uh, we need to add like our contact or something. So if somebody wants to contact us and send us a message about how angry they are about the plugins that we use or lack thereof, then uh, they can always reach out. But um, let's do an let, 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 let's create an Instagram. Let's create an Instagram for this, and then people can find us there. It will probably be something like okay, Miguel. In the edit, you will overdub what the Instagram will be called right here. Oral adventures, but. Sure, I will check if it's available, but I think so. It's, it sounds rather obscure, so it must be available. Okay, thank you, audience. See you next uh, week. Bye. 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 Bye.